And if you're uh, joining us online, thank you for being with us again. Um, my name is Greg. Uh, for those of you who might not know me, I'm one of the pastors on the team here. And uh, it's exciting to continue in this study that we've been doing in 1 Peter. Um, one thing I really appreciate about uh, being a church that's committed to the Word of God, uh, not only are we committed to believing that the Word of God is, is that, it's God-breathed, but also I think that it's, it's very helpful to be a part of a church that actually goes through books of the Bible. Because I think that that gives us an opportunity to hear the whole counsel of God. It's easy to kind of pick and choose topics that you'd like to talk about. It's another thing to have to be kind of confronted with texts that are challenging, challenging to understand and challenging to hear. And I think this, this text today, uh, for some of us, may be a little harder to hear than others. It's, a, it's an important text, and I think it's important, especially to where we are now as a, as a church and as a, as a nation. And it has the idea of being subject to civil authorities. And so I'm um, looking forward to, to hearing uh, what the Apostle Peter um, said about these things, because I believe this is God's truth to us. Um, in our series, we're uh, looking at the topic of not home yet. It's a good reminder that this is not our ultimate home. And so that means that it's not going to be easy in this world. It's not going to always be comfortable. It's not always going to be the way we'd like it. But uh, we're here on a, for purpose and with a mission that God has given to us while we're here on this earth. And so the title of our uh, text today is Be Subject for God's Sake. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 to 17. Uh, if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, you can follow on there. Also, we'll have the text up on the screen. So... Um, let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you opportunities that we have like this to, to really see what you think about controversial issues for some. Uh, knowing how we relate to uh, governments and civil authorities and rulers uh, as, we, as we look through this chapter, there will be how we respond to our employers, uh, how we re respond to other um, leaders in our life. I thank you that these things are for our good, and thank you these things reflect something about you, and thank you that these also uh, give us opportunity to live by faith and to trust you and to follow you. So, Lord, would you... Prepare our hearts and our minds. Would you help us to have ears to hear and to listen, but also just to consider the applications as those are not always easy. And uh, I pray that you'd help me to speak freely, but also to speak accurately what your, your Bible says and uh, give us grace in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Apostle Peter did not see human institutions as ultimate in his life. Um, and 1 Peter chapter 2 addresses the question, do I have to obey civil authorities? You know, if this world isn't my home, and this isn't, you know, the kingdom that I'm part of, is it necessary that I have to, you know, follow these rulers and these authorities in my life? Do I need to obey their laws? You know, I'm glad that we live in a nation of laws and lawgivers, and even in a democracy, we get to choose uh, our 
lawgivers and we get to have a part in what the laws are. And yet, as we know, many of those laws are not things that we agree in. And many laws, you know, seem unreasonable and inefficient and unnecessary. And I don't like all the laws there are. In fact, you probably don't like some of these laws that we, that we have. So these are things that uh, you may think, yeah, I don't like some of those either, you know. Um, as I look at the list there, uh, you know, there are times I think, do I really have to do this? Like the speed limit, you know, is one of those. Do I really need to follow the speed limit? Can I not really park here just for at least a few moments, <laughs> you know? Uh, I don't like the radar that's out there. I was on the way um, this last year to my daughter Lisa's, um, she was giving birth to her first son, her child, and Christy w- was going to help out, and so we jumped in the car. We found out she was in labor, and we were hurrying down to only Maryland to, to get there so Christy could join in and be a part of the, of the delivery. She was a doula for her, and, you know, we got down there, and we came back. I came back, and several weeks later, I got this letter in the mail that said, you were speeding, and you weren't supposed to be speeding there. So, you know, I saw the date on it, and I was comforting myself a little bit. Like, well, I was trying to get her to, you know, to a delivery, except when I looked at the time of it, and it was on my way home. <laughs> and I've gotten burned at least a few times on those things. Um, and so I'm doing my own wrestling with some of these texts with, you know, some of these things. Like, really, really, are these really that important? So that's, I'll leave that to your conscience and to your understanding. But those are, you know, some of the things I find, you know, unreasonable or inefficient, unnecessary. Um, and I imagine you have laws or things that you don't like or you, you disagree with as well. You know, maybe it's tax issues. Maybe it's election laws. Maybe it's corporal punishment or business laws or employer policies, or environmental laws. And lately, you know, we've had our debates about these, the vaccines, masking, and distancing. And we think, what about these? So it's not going to be my purpose this morning to kind of parse out each one of these, but I do believe God's word does bear on all these issues that we've been talking about. And I think that it's important for us to hear what God thinks about our response to authorities. And so the big idea today that we're going to look at is the Lord commands Christians to be subject to authorities. So the question is, uh, what does God have to say about that? So let's look at this first point. Submission is supremely to God. And this is our text for today, so I want to read it, and we'll look, we'll look at it together. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence and the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So, I think as I was looking at this text, the first thing that really struck me is how much God is named in this section. I mean, we're bracketed in, and within the middle of it, 
there's all these things about God. And I've highlighted some of those there. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Goes on, it says, for this is the will of God. Later on, living as servants of God. In verse 16. And then it says, fear God. And when we talk about this topic of how we interact and how we respond to laws and to gov- uh, government officials and civil uh, officials that we have over us, I think God wants us to say, I have something to say about this. I have something to do with this. And so this first one, it says, for the, you know, be subject for the Lord's sake. And I think, well, when would I ever use that phraseology like for the Lord's sake? It's usually when I'm asking someone who doesn't want to do what I'm asking them to do. Like, okay, if you don't want to do this, for, for mom's sake, would you do this, you know? Or if you're in a relationship with a, a, a girl or a girl with a guy and you're like, hey, would you at least do this for me? You know that there's a resistance. You know, like, I don't really want to do this, but for your sake, I'll do this. So I think God starts off with kind of this soft appeal, like, hey, for my sake, for the Lord's sake, be subject to these authorities. And it goes on, it says, you know, that they're, what to do with them. And it goes in verse 15, it says, for this is the will of God. And it's talking about, you know, what these authorities are going to be doing. They're going to be punishing and they're going to be praising. But it says, for this is the will of God. And this word for here is, is because, because this is God's will of how I do things. This is, this is how I've set it up. So he's appealing on the basis now of this is how, it's, how my design is. Then he gets down further on. He says, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom for cover-up. But living as, in contrast, that he just said, you're free. He said, as servants of God, I want you to do this. So even though we're going to talk a little bit about what does freedom look like and what does freedom mean, he reminds us, yeah, but you're still servant of God. And in fact, this word is really slave. <laughs> You're a slave of God. And then if we still, you know, are kind of holding back on on these things as he's telling us how to relate to various uh, authorities in our lives and laws and so forth, he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Reverence God in this. And so... In this whole context of this whole issue, we can kind of divert the attention to the rationality of this law, the worthiness of this person who's telling me to do something, the reasonableness, the convenience of it, how much I like it or don't like it. And really, you know, God just wants us, I think in this first Peter section, is to kind of shape it in a, this is really about God, how we're responding to these things. Submission, by the way, is not a bad word. You know, every time one of us needs, you know, does a wedding, we always need to kind of explain that it's not bad to submit. Submission is not a bad thing. It didn't come because of the fall, you know. Uh, Submission is a good thing. In fact, it's a God thing. When you look at the scriptures, you know, you see, and it's very clear that Jesus says that he is submitted to the Father. He only does what the Father wants him to do. He's, he's following the Father's will. And so, actually, it's not only not a bad thing, it's a godly thing to have submission in our lives. 
And we're talking about one aspect of submission here. It's also something that we see in heaven. <laughs> submission is among, uh, with the angels are, are being submissive. Those who have gone ahead, who are believers, are being submissive. And so it's, it's really a good thing. It's not, it's not a sinful thing. It's not because of sin. It's not a consequence. It has purpose, and it brings glory and honor and order. Later on in 1 Peter in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, I just want to show you how almost submission is almost used the same as the word obey. Look here with me in verses 5 and 6. It says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So it says she was so submitting to her husband as Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. I've told this story before, but in our first, uh, I'd say probably in my first five years of marriage, there was a situation I was, I was pastoring. Uh, it was before I was a pastor, just before I was a pastor. And I had a, we had a big group of people coming over to the house. It was one of those times we went to church and I'd been reaching out to some military people and they brought a whole bunch of military people. So I knew they were all going to have to go out and buy lunch or something. I said, oh, why don't you just come over to my house? I hadn't asked my wife yet. And so uh, I said, by the way, I've invited a bunch of people over, you know, for lunch. I said, do we have enough food? And she says, I think so. And so we were trying to run ahead of them to make sure we could pull something together. And, the live, and we had several children at, the same, at that time. So, you know, you come into the house and you're going to see the result of having children. And then if you go into the kitchen, you know, something had to be put together. And so Wendy, you know, started right away in the kitchen because she wanted to th get things going. And I was aware that people were going to walk in and we could, we could entertain them for a time before the food was ready. So, so basically I was trying to get the kids to help me to put things away. I knew people were going to be here within minutes. She was starting to the kitchen. I said, sweetie, we need to get this, this room clear first. She goes, no, I need to get things going. I said, no, we need to get things going. We need to get things in order first. And she said, but I need to work in the kitchen. I said, sweetheart, I need you to help me here. And she looked at me, and she, you could see she was almost biting her tongue. And she goes, yes, Lord. <laughs> Now, that sounds like a rebuke or something like that. Or like, but she was thinking about this verse here. Where Sarah, it says here, she submitted to her own husband as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And she wasn't mocking me. She was trying to reorient the way she thought about submission in that moment. Because she knew that her plan was probably better than my plan but she knew that she was supposed to follow my plan in that moment. And so she chose to see God in the equation. She cho chose to see how God had placed a husband in that situation to make that call. And I was, uh, by the way, that was very sobering to me and I, I still remember it, you know, to this day, obviously. It made me think about that, wow, if she's gonna start like really doing what I ask her to do, I better make sure that I'm doing what God wants me to do. <laughs> 
it really, it really sobers you up when someone follows you because you think, I don't want to lead them in the wrong way either. You know, I don't want to go the wrong direction, but I, I don't want to take my whole family or my church or whomever, I don't want to take them in the wrong direction just for my preferences. So it has a good effect in both directions as well. But submission is supremely to God. When we submit, we're actually saying, God, this is for you. This is my offering to you. This is my step of faith to recognize that even though it looks bad or it looks wrong or inefficient or inconvenient or costly, I'm still going to trust you that somehow you've put this in place and I just need to just walk it out. I need to walk it out in faith. A second point we have from this section is submission to every human institution, every civil institution. Specifically, First Peter actually talks more to the, the governmental, you know, to the emperor and to the governors and, and those who are appointed by the emperor. But it also says every human institution. So the, the application is, is probably much broader than elected officials and, and, and officials of, of government. But speaking of that, we do have a text that I think is very specific to government, and that's Romans 13. And we can't spend all our time here, but there's, this is laden with a lot to say about this topic. Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. If we just take that section alone, that's a hurdle. That's a big, 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 big hurdle for most of us to be able to say, I need to be subject to these authorities because there's no authority except that God established. And those who exist have been instituted by God. That means that God has bad leaders over me. That means God has unbelievers over me. That means God has evil leaders over me. That's what that means. And that's our reality. And that was their reality, by the way. At this time, uh, Nero was the emperor over those people. When Peter was writing this, it was Nero. Nero is like the cruelest, most brutal persecutor of Christians of any of the emperors in in that time. I mean, he would make torches living torches out of Christians and set them on fire to light his gardens. He would wrap their, you know, Christians in, in skins and put them out into the Colosseum for sport to watch them be destroyed and torn, torn apart. Peter himself was actually executed, crucified, I believe, under Nero. Peter had seen the mock system that was used to crucify Jesus. So when we think that it's worse now than it was then, I don't think that counts really, (laughs) at least not as far as Peter's concerned because he was watching a level of evil and destruction and anti-Christian atmosphere that is well beyond anything that we've ever experienced. So to accept by faith, every person is supposed to be subject to governing authorities. There's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. That's a big, that's a big pill to swallow. That's, that's a tough one. 
And it goes on, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. That's not going to be good for us. I don't know if that means judgment from them. It probably is. But maybe even a judgment on us that God's just saying, no, 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 no. I told you about this. For rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but for, to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for good. So I know we have lots, of, we have lots to say about that, because like, wait a minute. I don't think that all these authorities are doing are for my good. And they're not praising the Christians. They're not praising many godly people. But again, I want you to remember the context of Peter writing these things. But it goes on. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. It's talking about the authorities now. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Again, we could probably take a series on that. But let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, which is our text for today. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. And we've talked about the emperor in this case, you know, would be kind of the one who's over all things. We have presidents, we have senators and representatives and governors and things like that. But this is, this is the one who's kind of appointing other leaders underneath him. And it says that that one, you know, um, though as evil as he was, Nero, um, God, through Peter, was saying, be subject to these people. He goes on and says, and to the governors who are appointed by him, appointed leadership. I mean, you could drop this down to other leadership that we have to, you know, follow within our, within our system of, of society here, like the police. Again, I th- I, as I told you, you know, we know that the leadership at that time, that they were evil, that they were brutal, that they were not God-fearing, that they were many, most were non-Christians. And when Jesus himself was, was tested in one of those situations of how he was going to respond, um, in John chapter 19, verse 11, when Pilate says, don't you know that I have authority to give you life or take away your life? And Jesus said this, he said, you have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given to you from above. So God was working through an evil governor, a political leader, a leader who cowered 
to the polls, so to speak, by what the, the Jewish throng wanted at that time. He was trying to get the case, you know, moved out. And he was appealing and trying to give them something to satisfy them, but they weren't going to be satisfied other than his execution. And so he cowered down and he, he gave in to that. And Jesus is saying to him, you don't, you don't, you don't have any authority. The only authority you have has been given by God. And every human institution has leadership that has been, has God in place. And we could look, you know, and we'll be looking in weeks to come over some of those other situations. But, you know, your, your professor, you know, your boss... You know, there are, there are leadership structures in all human institutions, and God has his hand in all those things and has appointed those positions. And it says that they, they've been given that responsibility to actually punish the evil. We saw in Romans where it says, you know, they've been given a sword. So those institutions, by God's design, are actually, you know, to, to mete out punishments and not just rehabilitate there's, there's actually punishment that comes for wrongdoing. And they also should be praising when they see something good. They should be rewarding and, and blessing those situations. And whether governments follow that or not, they're still appointed by God. Now, you would say to me, Greg, you know, there's, there's, I know there's exceptions. There's exceptions in the scriptures. And there's definitely a, a, a period of thousands of years, you know, covered in the scriptures. And there are, there are exceptions there. And so let's look at those exceptions for a second. Okay, so you have God blessing people who disobeyed human government. It was approved by God. So let's take the issue of murder. The issue of murder. In uh, Exodus chapter 1, verse 17, we have a, an account of some midwives that were told to murder the Jewish babies, the, the Jewish boys. And so they were God-fearing, and they did not want to kill those babies. So they just said, you know, these women, these Jewish women, they just, they're strong, and they just push those babies out really quickly. And before we get there, you know, they're kind of already born, so we can't do anything about that. And so God blessed the wombs of those, of those midwives because they wouldn't murder those babies. And then we have the example from Hebrews, which is talking about the same period of time, which was Moses. Moses' parents did not murder their son, did not kill their son. Uh, they hid their son and eventually put him into uh, a little boat, a little pitch, and he got found by Pharaoh's daughter. So we know there's an exception for murder. Can't murder people. Second exception here we have from uh, the book of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they built this, the, the, the king at that time built this huge idol that he commanded everybody they had to bow down and worship it. And as soon as the music started, they, everybody had to bow down and start worshiping. And they said, nope, we're not doing that. And so they brought him in, gave him another chance. And he said, even if you, even if you kill us, we're not going to do it. Our God can, can deliver us from this, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to do that. And so they disobeyed. And God rescued them. 
And we had another one of those situations in the book of Daniel. We had the, the account of, of, of Daniel himself. And then Daniel was told, the, the, there was these other leaders that wanted to get rid of Daniel. They hated Daniel and they couldn't find any charge against him because he was exemplary all the time in following what the king wanted him to do. But they made him come up with a law and they tricked him to come up with a law that for, the, for 30 days, nobody can worship anybody but you. Nobody can pray to anybody but you. So for the next period of time, you're the only one who can get prayed to. You're the only one who could be worshipped. And Daniel said, uh-uh, uh-uh. You're only, I'm only going to worship one God. There's only one God, and he's the one who's going to be worshipped. So he prayed, and he got caught. He got thrown into lion's den, and God delivered him. So we know that you know, it was okay to disobey you know, because God doesn't want you worshipping other gods and idols and being forced to do that. And the third situation we have is the book of Acts, chapter 4 and 5, where the apostles, you know, were doing great miracles, and they were telling everybody about Jesus and how, you know, the rulers and the Pharisees had, had him put to death, and they were getting kind of, the, they were getting blamed for that, and all these people were believing in Jesus and hearing about it, and they forbid them to talk about Jesus, to preach about Jesus, to, you know, to do that. And so... They were flogged for that. They were beat for that. And that happened on a couple occasions. So we know that it's okay to disobey when someone says, you can't preach about Jesus anymore. So those are our exceptions. So I'm just telling you personally, I'm wrestling here. Because, <laughs> like, I'm not, things I want to disobey, you know, I want to go faster on the road or I want to, you know, I want to do this, you know, or this or that. I'm thinking, okay, what is my, what is my reason for not following a God-given authority. And these are the ones that I've got, you know, in the scriptures. Maybe you'll come up with some more. But these were the reasons that they were disobeying. And so my, 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 cha my challenge to myself is, do you have a good reason, a biblical reason, to not do the will of God, to not fear God, to not honor the Lord, you know, I mean, that's what I'm wrestling with for me, especially the speeding thing. I just like, man, I don't consider that I'm like really, really fast. But I know they won't stop you until you get this far over the speed limit, you know. Pray for me. So, uh, so the big idea, the Lord commands Christians to be subject to authorities. Let's look at one more point here. Submission is for those who are free. For those who are free. Second Peter, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So we talked about this a little bit, like we're free, but we're servants of God. So freedom... And servants of God, you've got to take them both into consideration, okay? And this idea of being free, you know, and, and this whole argument or this whole thing, I know it had to take, this is Peter who writes. We don't have a whole lot of letters from Peter. We've got two letters from Peter. You know, so he, it had to, he had to be thinking about an encounter he had with Jesus. And we've got it recorded in Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. And it said this, when they came to Capernaum, this is Jesus and his disciples, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, yes. And when they came into his house, 
Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? For whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? He said, and when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. The sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. And there's lots of things we could draw from this, like how God's going to provide for us and how he's going to help us even in those difficult, unreasonable situations or whatever, how he's going to help you out. But did you see how freedom was expressed in that situation? He said, yeah, you're a son. You're free. You don't, you don't, in one sense, you don't have to pay, you shouldn't have to pay taxes. The king isn't asking taxes from you. But, he said, however, not to give offense, pay the tax. Not to give offense, pay the tax. And we'll see how that works in a little bit later on. But, but the reality is I think Peter was remembering that lesson when he's given this instruction about our freedom. Mark chapter 12, verse 17, Jesus said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So are we free what, is, what does freedom mean for us as Christians, you know? Well, clearly we're free from guilt. We're free from the consequences of our, of our sin. We're free that we don't have to try and earn our salvation, our relationship with God. We're free from the power of sin. We're not obligated to, be, to keep sinning, you know, in this life. There, that, that power has been broken and there's power to live this new life. But we're not free from doing wrong. We're not free from that. True freedom is still consistent with obedience to God and his will. Freedom doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. It means now we're free to do what God wants us to do. We're still slaves or servants of God. And freedom results in great joy when we do what's right. If we're people who are really free, we'll be the most exemplary servants of our God. Now, there's different obligations to different people. Um, let me see. So let's look at this submission for those who are free. We have a text still, right? That's good. Thank you. So, so there's different obligations to different people. So as you look here in the text here, it says, if at the very end, it says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. And so there's different obligations that we have in di different circumstances. The first one is we're to honor everyone. And that's not about an authority thing. That's, a, that's just the way, that's the way we live our lives. And to honor everyone means that you're courteous and you're respectful because every person that you're talking to, every person you're interacting with, everybody you're talking about is an image bearer. Every person that we interact with has value and has, uh, has at least, at the very least, you know, 
reflects the image of God. And so we should honor them and treat them as an image bearer of our God. Secondly, it says, love the brotherhood. So with the brotherhood, you not only honor them and respect them, but you're to love them as well. So that means there's, there's a greater obligation that you have to the brothers and sisters of Christ than you do to just the general public out there. You're, you're free to do good to all people, but especially those of the household of faith, the scripture tells us. And then we have kind of a higher response, which is to fear God. You honor them, excuse me, you honor him, you love him, but you also revere him. You also revere him. To fear God has this idea that you are God alone and your opinion is the only one that really matters. And your will is the only one that really should be sought, ultimately. Now, Caesar wanted that role. He, he demanded that role. He even wanted to be treated as God. But God said, nah, in, in my way, you honor everybody. You love the brotherhood. And you fear God. You revere him. And whenever there's a, there's a uh, you know, a contesting between this is what God wants and this is what the king wants, go with God. Do what God says. If it's between God and your parents, you must obey God because God is the one that we revere. God is the, one, the only one that deserves that place. And so he does give, he does tell us what to think about Caesar. He says, honor Caesar. So actually, the brotherhood is ahead of Caesar. You, know? you, you, you love them. You honor and respect those who are uh, the, the emperor in this case. Can I have the worship team come on up at this point? Verse 15 says this in the same section. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put silence, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We kind of saw that already in Matthew when Jesus, when, when Jesus was talking to Peter, when he said, hey, you know, do we really have to pay the tax? He says, hey, you're free, but in order not to give an offense, we're going to pay that tax anyway. So right now, you know, God's will is for us to not offend and to take away as much of the accusation as comes against us as Christians. You know, we will be falsely accused. We will be wrongly, we will be wrongly treated. There will be legislation against us. We will have to face a lot of those things. But if people are making accusations against us because we're disobeying God, we don't need to do that. In fact, we can, we can go pretty far in yielding for the hope that the gospel may have another, a, a greater hearing, a greater opportunity. It says, God wants, by doing good, by being subject, by good, being good citizens, if you will, 
we silence the ignorant and foolish people. They're ignorant because they don't know. They don't know God. They don't know his truth. They don't know his ways. They don't know his spirit. And they're foolish because the, the proverb says, the, the fool says in his heart there's no God. And those people are not going to be supportive, generally speaking, of us. But when we are disobedient, when we are foolish ourselves and disregard God's will, God's ways, we create more difficulties for the gospel to go forward. Christians should be known as, as, as hardworking, gracious, good citizens, giving a blessing when we're cursed, doing good to our enemies. We should be known for these things. We should not be known as, you know, the way the world would respond to disagreements. We shouldn't be known that way. Good citizens are not anarchists. Submission of authority is a strong apologetic against the view that Christians are never up to any good. And God wants to, fall, God wants to silence as much of those accusations as possible. So, you know, as we step back, as we think about this, you know, What's your story? What's your testimony? What are you doing to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? What's your view of God? Do you see God as bigger than the government officials, the laws, the country we live in? Do you, do you, see, do you see God as the one who institutes governments and all authorities are in place because he put them in place? Do you see that God sometimes does allow bad things to happen to good people? And that happens in his plan? Is your conscience clear? Uh, are the laws that you don't keep, if you don't keep them, do you have a God-given reason? Do you really have a God-honoring reason of disobeying those things? You know, these are things I'm, you know, as I'm like listening, I'm like, how can you say all these things, Greg? You, you've got a lot of work there too. I do. But the thing I love about using the word submission is because when I think about submission versus obedience, obedience is just the outward experience, the outward demonstration of sub submission. So I'm obeying on the outside, but I'm rebelling on the inside. You know, you ask me to stand up, I'll stand up, but I'm sitting down on the inside. That's not submission. And that's probably because we don't see God behind that leader or that law. We don't see God in there. We just, we're just judging that person on who they are or the foolishness of their, of their decision. But I think that submission is what God calls us to. And it's okay to, to wrestle with God on those things. I mean, even at the very end, Jesus is still wrestling a little bit with the Father and says, is, is this really the way it's got to go, Father? Do I really have to die this way? If, if there's another way, could you, like, give me another option? <laughs> Take this cup away from me? But he ended up with, not my will, but your will be done. 
he wasn't praying against the Romans. He wasn't praying against the Jewish leaders. He wasn't praying against us. He, he saw this. He says, my conversation needs to be with God over this. Because God's the one who put these people in place to, 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 to set out these rules and regulations. Is that, what you, is that where you're at in, in your struggles with these things? Is this about you don't want to follow what God says or you don't believe that God is really in this at all and has directed you to this? And I think, that's, you know, I think that's really the takeaway for most of us is like, is God behind authorities? And does he want me in my heart to be subject to him, to him? This is the will of God, he says. And I think that's probably where, you know, where we, where we are. But, you know, The scriptures tell us that we're to have this mind that was also in Christ Jesus. In Philippians, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of a servant and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. He had to learn to be obedient to lots and lots of inferior people, sinful people, difficult people. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, this sounds impossible or ridiculous or both. And though this sounds difficult and bizarre, there's, there's, no, there's no life that's filled with more joy and peace than knowing Jesus Christ as God and Savior in your life. And the, pr- the problem is that we're all, we're all rebellious and we all disobey and we all fall short and nobody's gonna earn their way to heaven by trying to do these kind of things. We all fall short. And that's why God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to, to come to this earth, to actually live out a perfect life in all these ways and more. And then to offer himself to be your substitute, to take the judgment that rightfully is ours, and he took it on himself and died on the cross for your sin and for mine. He offered to, to die for you so that you could have the blessing that he earned, spend in t- eternity in heaven with him. And you do that by just simple trust, simple trust in him. And if you'd like to talk to somebody about that, if there's a, someone who brought you, please do. If you'd like to talk to some of us, you know, we would love to talk to you about that. But you can do that just by making a decision. I'm no longer going to trust in my own goodness. I'm not going to trust in my own efforts to earn my way to heaven. I'm going to put my hope in Jesus Christ, who alone can save me. Because nobody else can save you but Jesus. And as a Christ follower, God has sent his Holy Spirit inside of each one of us to give us the willingness and the power to live this kind of life. Because it takes faith to live under difficult circumstances like this. It does. 
But Jesus paved the way for us, and he's transforming our hearts. He's given us power to trust him in submitting to these authorities that we have. So that's my hope and prayer for us, that we will continue to grow in our faith and desire. Pray for your leaders. Timothy said that in 1 Peter, excuse me, 1 Timothy 2, he says, first of all, you should be praying for your leaders. You should be praying for government officials. If you don't like the way they're doing what they're doing, be a part of the solution. Pray, pray. If God leads you to be involved in, in our, our political system or in our governmental system, please do. Because you're salt and light in those situations. And then let's live out a way that really honors him. Let's pray. Lord, these things are impossible in our own strength, especially doing it from the heart. But we believe that you are in the, you, that's what you do. You transform hearts. We want you to come and rule in our hearts, Lord. Be our king. Uh, we want to fear you. We want to obey you. We want to honor you. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.